Welcome to the Maze Marketing Podcast. This isn't another podcast about marketing tricks or hacks, but about building effective marketing systems, beating marketing overwhelm, and communicating your expertise. With your hosts, Rob Drummond and Jonathan Wilson. This week, we're talking about one of my favorite topics, email storytelling. Um, in other words, how do you write engaging stories in your emails to communicate with people over a long period of time? How do you communicate your authentic self? How do you build trust? Um, I think there's a bit of a knack, there's a bit of a technique to telling effective stories. And we explore what some of those techniques are in this conversation. So I think you'll really get a lot out of this. This might be an episode that you want to listen to more than once. Let's get going. So Rob, I think from from my outside perspective that one of your superpowers, as people like to say, is storytelling. You're you're a king storytelling marketer. Why don't you why don't you tell me a little bit about what that means to you and how it helps your clients? Yeah, so I have like an interest in storytelling. Like I, I'm not it's it's funny, like I, I don't really consider myself like an out and out storyteller in the sort of extrovert center of attention sort of way yeah but um so most of the stories that i tell are written um i think if you're sending a regular email column or if you're sending a print newsletter or if you're writing books or anything like that then stories become really important if it's a personal medium and you're and you need to build trust with people over a longer period of time um then stories are probably the best way to do that um so one of the most common email sequences that i'll work on with a client is kind of the welcome series after people opt in Mm -hmm. um and in that series often what we'll do is we'll 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 try to tell the business owner's story but in a way that in a way that presents them in sort of a vulnerable way it allows people to get to know the real them It, it showcases their flaws as well um and what i've sort of found by doing this is that is that the people who do engage with those, with those emails like they, they do stick around for a long period of time yeah um it also means that they actually see you as unique so that even if they're not ready to buy right now when they are ready to buy they want to work with you yeah. um because you know, it's it's just it's just the basis of how of how we build trust. So you know, I've I've sort of had this kind of long running interest in stories, um, and and actually, so English English literature was one of the uh, subjects that I did uh, A levels at school, mm-hmm. and I remember like I, I had a bunch of friends who were studying things like physics and chemistry and maths and you know so called you know harder subjects, who were basically just laughing at me for doing an A-level and reading books. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, well, on the face of it, that's true. But this, but I knew that I knew that there was something more fundamental going on. Like I, I knew that it was important and I knew that it mattered. I just couldn't quite, when I was 18 or 17 or however old I was, I couldn't, I couldn't quite pinpoint yet what yeah. that thing was. Um, and actually what that thing was is that the stories that we were studying, they were actually telling us fundamental truths about the human existence they were, they, were tr- they were trying to pass on knowledge it's the oldest way of passing on knowledge um 
And I, I kind of had a sense of that without really sort of understanding it. And if you, if you think about it in your marketing, if you're building trust with people, you're, you, you're trying to do the same thing. You're trying to pass on knowledge. Um, and most people, when, they're, when, they're, when you create an email series, try to pass on that knowledge by writing quite technical emails. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I, I distinguish in an email between story and content. So content is the email that you would set that you would have sent if you don't include any story. It's it's the how-to, the mechanics, it's what we assume people want by catering to their logical brains, but it's not really how they make buying decisions. So so if you think of it if you think of a sandwich that has some filling in, so the filling is like a story, and there's all sorts of fillings that you can put on a sandwich, you know, tasty fillings, varied fillings, all of that stuff. The content is like the bread. If you don't have any fillings on your sandwich, you're asking people to eat dry bread over <laughs> and over and over and yeah. over. And you know what? I mean, they might eat dry bread like a few times if they're if they're really desperate to work with you. Yeah, like, it can work, but it's working less and less. Um, so you know, if if you need to send, if you if you have a potentially long buying cycle, or if you sell to the same person over a long period of time, potentially over multiple transactions, then this this isn't really something to, something to bolt onto your marketing. This is almost like the core thing that you need to put at the core of your marketing. It needs to be the story that sits at the heart of everything that you communicate about what you're doing. Yeah. Um. So that's sort of the background. So I I had um. I, I kind of started off self-employed life as an AdWords guy, and then I I ended up doing some work in the email marketing system, Aweber. So I was writing emails for both myself and for clients, and I've I've always I've always written kind of story-based emails, um, and I was I always kind of assumed that it was kind of a a bit of a dark art, and that, <laughs> and that I couldn't really apply a system to it. Like I've always created systems for Google ads and things like that, but I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't create a system for how to write a story-based email. And then a few years ago, I went to one of Sean D'Souza's workshops. So yeah. uh, Sean is a marketer based in New Zealand that he put on a storytelling workshop. And we all arrived at this workshop. So there's about 20 of us at the workshop and we all arrived as writers in some sort. So a few copywriters, a few authors, a few other people, I guess, but it became very quick, very apparent, very quickly that Sean did have a process he was able to teach, and it wouldn't have mattered if we'd all have arrived as, you know, architects or engineers or chemistry students or whatever. Like we, we would all have made the same mistakes and would have all emerged out of the course with the same skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I that that sort of changed my entire thinking because I, I realised that by applying some of Sean's ideas and combining them with some of my own ideas, I was able to kind of systematize it and I was able to teach it. That isn't to say it's an easy system to follow. And the hardest part about it is being is being willing to be vulnerable. That's probably the hardest thing that people wrestle with. Like, like they, they worry, you worry when you tell a personal story that it's not going to be relevant to the buyer, that people are going to judge you, that it's going to, that it's going to distract them from buying. All of these things are only true in very, very specific circumstances. These things are only true if someone is literally ready to click the buy now button. 
if they're not ready to click the buy now button, then you need to be telling your story. And the more vulnerable you can be about it, the better. Yeah. You know, an interesting thing about, I think you're 100% right. I think that's probably the thing that, that concerns or worries people the most about telling their story. At the same time, um, this is kind of similar to something we've talked about uh, when we had the episode describing your email list maintenance uh, hygiene. You, you want people to see your angle. And if you are not for them, it'd be better for them to see that and, and unsubscribe, so to speak, from your message uh, in the storytelling phase. Yeah. Then after they become a client and all of a sudden they find out that you, you know, uh, what you're, you're an Irish guy. I don't like Irishmen. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm making that up, right? Just to tease you, but uh, you know, what, whatever it is that you're afraid they may not like, if that was true, it'd be better if they went ahead and found that out about you anyway, early on and uh, skipped out on you. And then the people who like it, who are interested and find it intriguing, um, they can go ahead and soak it up and get to know you better. People always see more commonalities in your story than you realize that they're going to. Yeah. Um, shared experiences, even if it's not exactly the same experience. Like, so my first email in my sort of course, in, in what I call my course story series, um, goes back to my earliest memory. And my earliest memory, or one of my earliest significant memories, is of my granddad dying. Mm. And, I, and I, I was there in the room. I was about four years old, and I, I remember it happening, but I, I wasn't old enough to understand it properly. Oh wow! Yeah. And it's just quite a powerful story. But I, you know. I, you know, if you can, if you can introduce that sort of thing, like people that always, people always relate to that in some other context. Yeah. Um, it always triggers off some kind of association. Um, I, I, I have quite a few emails in my series that talk about early jobs and we've all, um, you know, I, I think most of us have all had early jobs that, you know, we wouldn't necessarily do anymore. <laughs> and the stories that come out of that are the things that you get up to. Um, I have stories that I tell about truanting off school to play snooker, um, which actually ties into the why I am today, because I still maintain that a degree of walking around on the face of it, not doing much work is actually healthy for you as a writer and yeah. Healthy, healthy for your soul and healthy for a sense of independence. Yeah. So it does, it, it does, it does tie in if you see, if you can see the connection. Um, and I think it's one of those things where like, let's face it, like most people reading that story, like, okay, so some people have a hundred percent attendance rates, but you know, I think we've normally done some slightly shady things <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it just starts to present you like it, it starts to showcase more of the real you and once people see more of the real you that it's, it's, it's the entire foundation of, of how how we build trust yeah um so so the email series that i normally focus on is when people first opt in like i i want to effectively pour cement around the relationship yeah by telling my story so i i I've kind of got to the situation now where I will normally create about, so I, I normally, if I'm working with a client, I normally aim to write 14 or 15 emails. My own email series has ended up being 18, 18 emails. And the reason for that is because sometimes if you write an email, you realize that it needs to be split into two emails because actually yeah. it's two different stories. Yeah. 
And if you end up with an email that's got two different stories, you always have to split them. Like yeah. it's, worth, it's always worth splitting them. I like writing 15 emails because it means that I have different implementation options. Um, I can send an email a day for just over two weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can send an email every other day for a month. Um, I can send an email every weekday for three weeks or so. So it, it, it means that within the time frame of a month, I can sort of I can sort of deliver this story that actually communicates my expertise and gets people to see my uniqueness and gets people to see my real value. I I don't generally have series that run on longer than a month because people kind of forget where you started with it. So it so I I feel like a month is sort of like a nice maximum time frame to kind of wrap it up. Mm-hmm. And it you know it, it might be that you have multiple. Um, versions of these series so it might be that you have a series after people opt in and then maybe you have another one that goes out you know a few weeks later or a few months later even yeah but you know i i sort of like the idea the the, the other reason that i like writing 14 or 15 emails is as long as i've done the research and the planning and i know what i want to say i can write um i can write five emails in about half a day Mm. as long as i'm focused and i'm not on facebook and i'm not messing about and all of that so, so so really it's it's three lots it's three lots of production for me which yeah. feels which feels more doable um although to me that i found actually is that like it's it's way easier for me to tell someone else's story than it is to tell my own Mm-hmm. It's, it's harder to work on your own story. And I found this last year when I was working. So last year I decided to kind of rewrite my core story series. And like what would take, you know, if I was writing five emails in a day for a client, then that would drop to like one or two for me. Yeah. Because I think it's worth appreciating that your story is quite a complicated thing. It's not a black and white thing. It's It's almost like a very complicated octopus that has different, tentacles different things that you might include that you might not include there's no one single it's not like a linear path there's different branches to it there's different things that you might say that you might not say um there isn't there isn't really like a correct way to tell it even um often the best way to to tell it is to kind of think through well what are the what are the main turning points? Like what, what are the most significant experiences that led you to a different trajectory? Um, Even though those experiences often aren't that at the time, they might not have been that, that obvious. Um, You know, often we just kind of fall into things. Um, So, you know, there's, there's this idea that the story selection is critically important. And I, 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 I don't actually think it is. Um, I think an ability to to make the story of some relevance to the reader is important. Yeah. So you you know if you think about my sandwich analogy that we were talking about earlier, where you've got your your story being the filling and your bread being the content, then you need to be able to link the story to the content. Um, so it, it it would be normal at some point for you to then end the email by delivering you know, the points of what you wanted to say. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, like it, it can't be like a jarring switch between the two. Like there's, there's a bit of finesse involved in that. Um, the way to do it incidentally is to kind of end story 
on one idea and start the content on the same idea. Yeah. Um, but actually, what 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 you sort of find over time is that like story selection actually isn't the be all and end all. I don't think. Um, selecting vulnerable stories, I think, is important. Yeah. Um, but the more the more vulnerable the story is, the harder it's going to be to tell. The more you'll second guess yourself, the more you'll almost talk yourself out of including it. And those yeah. are norm- those are normally the most powerful, the most powerful emails, the yeah. ones the ones that would build the most trust. And if you think about it, if you think about all, what all your competitors are sending out, like they they are not putting their inner selves on the line like this. Mm-hmm. When you tell these stories, you are doing a very brave thing um yeah. and i think you need to uh, you know so i think you need to acknowledge that and accept that it's hard and accept that you can only tell the stories that you're ready to tell not all of your stories are ready to tell or maybe even will ever be ready to tell and that's fine yeah you know you, you can only tell the stories that you're comfortable with um, you can always take a stab at it too and if it's uh, not quite ready to go and you need to sit on it and think about it and keep refining it then great but at least you got it started yeah yeah but but there has to there has to be the you know story in place and, and the more you the more you get used to telling stories the more just kind of second nature it becomes mm-hmm. um, something that I will do in an email series so I, I, I distinguish between like the open sandwich format and the closed sandwich format so the open sandwich just goes from filling filling to bread so story to content so yeah. you, you open the email with the story you launch straight into the drama of the story you pull the reader in and then you transition to your content um that tends to work best with people who already know you quite well um when people have very first opted in you might want to adopt the closed sandwich format instead where you have a literally a sentence or two of contents at the top that gives the reader a clue as to where you're going with this. So I need to, so I need to tell you about a time that I that I accidentally halved my cost per conversion on Google Ads. This is how it came about. And then you go yeah. into the, and, and then you go into the story but 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 you but you've given me a clue as to where I'm going with it. And if people aren't if people don't have the relationship with you yet, sometimes you need to drop that seed at the start yeah. to get them to read the story. It's a story that builds the trust, mm-hmm. but, you, but that only happens if you can if they read the story in the first place. Yeah. Um, so I think I think that's that's quite a useful tip. Um, I think another thing that I, I I probably run into with clients is. It's it's easy to be a bit hard on yourself, <laughs> um, you know. This um, so, you know, if, if if you write a story um, and you don't think it's much good, um, you're worried about the relevancy of it, then that's that's basically a normal response. That's that's a normal response. Like like so, so there's a lot of. I see a lot of interest in the marketing world in storytelling, but as a sort of fad or technique for kind of getting attention. Um, I'm not really talking about it in that sense. I'm talking about it as a fundamental technique for delivering knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm talking about it on a much sort of um, deeper level. Um, and I think that's kind of what we, you know, I mean, if you, if you sell based on your expertise, 
then you can try and convince people with logic, but they're not going to buy. Yeah. Um, you know, you can only build trust and you know get people to have a sales conversation with you based on based on emotion, and emotion is all about stories. Um, yeah. So, you know, as as I see it, like I I just don't think you have that much that much of an option. It's yeah. It's um, but at the same time, it, I, for me, it's a rewarding thing to do. Like I, it's the, the most enjoyable part of my work is is either working on my own story or better understanding my own story. Because I'm always I'm always learning about my own story. Because I, you know, I, I have this perception of how my story is in, in my head. Mm-hmm. I, I'm always kind of learning new things about that, and and that's 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 quite an interesting thing. Because if you could learn more about yourself, then you'll you'll write better emails overall. Like a, yeah. a solid, a solid grasp of of who you are and, and where you come from and what your value is. So that's that, that's that's only going to help. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But um. But yeah, I mean, I um. I don't really like. I think we've touched on this in a previous episode. Uh, in a previous episode about people telling people telling these personal stories in Facebook ads, and um, it's it's obviously like an attention grabbing gimmick. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, um, and you know, well, I think it underscores something we've mentioned a number of times, which is that there's a sequence to all these things, right? Like, so you know, you and I are professional service providers, and our story only matters in that context. And so, like you said, anytime somebody first comes in contact with our story, it's not just you know what I eat for lunch today. That's useless. But when it has a story and a bearing on them, hey, let me tell you about the time that I accidentally cut my CPA in half yeah, yeah, yeah. or doubled my revenue or whatever, people are be like, oh, yeah, that, that, that's interesting. I definitely want to hear that. And then you spin along with the story and you can make it as personal, as interesting or <laughs> attention getting whatever you need to. Um, and they still know the whole time like what you're doing. Um, I think this is why storytelling becomes like, I think you mentioned it. It's basically like the backbone. It's not the beginning, at least not always the beginning. And it's certainly not the end. We're not telling stories just to waste time. We, we hope that we're, if, if you're doing this as a business, we hope that you're attracting customers and, and filtering and qualifying them. And eventually they're going to buy and work with us. But uh, yeah, it's got, it's got its place and the, the order the context matters. And I, I agree. There's, there's way too much, um, uh, where I went on vacation and what I ate for lunch and all that other kind of, you know, or what I do or don't like. I mean, a little bit of that helps maybe, you know, it's kind of like a little, a little salt on your food, but not too much. But what, yeah, when, when you open your Facebook newsfeed and you're trying to learn something that matters to, to your business or I, uh, well, who opens their newsfeed for that? Right. But what I mean is like in general, you're carrying on throughout your day. What matters to you is growing your business and you open that newsfeed and it's talking about somebody's lunch, who cares? <laughs> who cares? Especially when it's the 701st time, right? Yeah. I think, I, think, I think telling stories in warm Facebook ads where you're targeting a remarketing audience that is quite a warm remarketing audience, I mean, that's, that's, that's fine. I mean, that, that, yeah. that, makes, that makes a lot of sense to me. Absolutely. Telling your story unsolicited to cold people who don't know who you are basically makes you like the crazy person on the bus who kind of sidles <laughs> up to you and insists on telling you their life story. And you're yeah. like, Oh my God, how am I going to get away from this person? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, don't be like that person. Um, 
I, I think another thing to think about is, um, you know, if you just get into grips with this, then telling sort of deeply personal stories is quite an advanced thing, I think. And it's often easier to get just get going and get to grips with this by telling stories about the more direct line of events that led to your current expertise mm-hmm. and your current line of work. Mm-hmm. Yep. If, you, if you get started with that, that's a relatively safe way to get started. Um, it's not that much of a leap between that, that sort of story and your content. Yeah. Um, so if that helps you get going, um, or you know, if that's what you first introduce, you, you know, people coming into your world, to yeah. then, you know, do that. Yeah, I think you could almost say, I, I mean, you're you're the story writer, not not me, but tell me what you think of this. I think you could almost say you've got to when you're beginning, you've got to kind of introduce your story to yourself, right? And uh, you may not get it at all right certainly not you know applicable and and uh, relevant to your audience but you got to get it out there and it's it's probably going to evolve over time i know um i haven't spent a lot of time working on my story but uh as i have tried to describe to some clients you know what i do why i do it and how i got here uh, some of them have actually asked me like what did you used to do i had how did you get into marketing what made you the adwords guy um and over time as i've kind of told and retold that story Oh, I found a little bit more concise and applicable way to des- describe how I got from IT to marketing. Uh, and, and, you know, I, th- I think that would happen to just about anybody. You you say it several times, you're going to hear yourself say it out loud, uh, you, you know, or, or write it either way. Um, you learn what parts are just not worth saying or not worth listening to and, and what parts are salient, right? So your story kind of evolves over time. I think – to give people a few more specific tips, so, so yeah, it's, it, it definitely does evolve over time. And as you, as you tell it more, and it'll become more clear to you. A few things that are very important, especially in a written story. So it, in a written story, you, you, you have more time to kind of think about how you've got to word things. Um, often business stories do not contain enough bad things happening. So... A good story has ups and it has downs. And that is the contrast in the story. Um, and you need both ups and downs. Most business stories just have ups. And if you're only if you're only telling sweet and joyful, wonderful things to your customers, then you're basically treating them like children. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if, if, you, if you think about it, like if you if you were like out in your yard, just getting the mail or something and like a ball bounces down, a, a, a ball comes over the fence and bounces into the uh, road. And then a small toddler runs out running after the ball. And then a van comes around at the top of the road fast. And you think, Oh no, there's going to be a, a crash here. Like what sort of message do you shout out? It's, it's 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 not a positive joyful message it's a negative message because you're looking yeah. after because you're looking after people yeah so, so you know don't be afraid of of using negative messaging like you, they most of the time you're not being negative you're just being responsible um so but yeah it, it, it's it's the contrast in the story that makes it interesting um if your stories are only just all the wonderful things that happen to you like first of all that's really dull 
Um, people are not interested in that. People watch television programs for the drama, for the yeah. pain, the heartache. People want to read about your heartache because they see echoes of their own heartache mm-hmm. echo, echoed in that. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, so there has to be contrast. Um, and if possible, there has to be, it, it, it can work really well to include suspense and dialogue. Yeah. Suspense and dialogue are quite often missing. So suspense is basically withholding the outcome of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, another common mistake I see people making is kind of commenting or reading in between the lines of the story as it's being told, or kind of or kind of interpreting the story for me as a reader. It's yeah. like, oh well, that 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 was dangerous because blah blah blah. It's like just don't say that. Let, let me come to that of my own. Yeah. Um, so yeah, suspense works quite well. So often what I will do is I will open up my core story email series and I'll start, I'll, I'll tell half of the story and I'll leave it on a cliffhanger and I'll continue that story in the next email. So that's, that's sometimes called a soap opera sequence. Yes. I, I do not make significant use of soap opera sequences because I generally believe that each email should kind of stand on its own two legs. However, at the start of an email series, it can make a lot of sense to split a story across across two, maybe three emails because you want to draw people in and you want to get people reading. It's, it's, it's like the Netflix effect. Like if you can get people reading the first three emails, they'll probably read the next 15. Yeah. Um, yeah. Netflix know that. I, I, I forget the exact stats, but there's something, there's something to do with if you watch the first three or four episodes in a series on Netflix, like Netflix nerdy, you'll probably watch the full box set. That's how it is. And it's, 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 it's the same with email. So, so adding that sort of suspense in quite early on, um, can work. Um, you know, don't, don't take the reader's attention for granted, basically. Um, don't tell boring stories that only have wonderful things happening. Try to withhold the outcome a bit. Um, make use of dialogue. So, so if you read, most novels contain significant dialogue, and that's for a very good reason because the dialogue pulls you into the story. Um, it it shows you what's it, it it pulls you into the story rather than just telling you what happened in the story. So, including dialogue in your emails is quite a sensible thing to do, and it doesn't have to be all dialogue, but occasional bits of dialogue really just help to keep the reader engaged. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I have that's that, that's kind of like a headline tour of some of the key things to think about, I guess. Yeah. I guess something to say is that like I've actually written a book about this called uh, "Simple Story Selling." Cool. Uh, which goes through all of my thoughts on this in a lot of detail. Um, the other thing that I did in simple story selling was that I also, so much after I, I much after I went through Sean D'Souza's storytelling course and I'd been working on this for a, a while, um, a friend recommended that I read a book called The Seven Basic Plots by a guy called Christopher Booker. And, you know, I'd, I'd sort of heard various, you know, various opinions that there are X number of basic plots or that all plots kind of do, all plots kind of like revolve around the so-called hero's journey or whatever. Yeah. And I, I, I'd, I'd always kind of dismissed it as a myth of categorization. Mm. Um, 
what Christopher Bucket does in his book is over about 900 pages, he analyzes all of the stories that he can find that have lasted over the last 2,000 years or so. Just going right back to the epic of, of uh, Gilgamesh, yeah. and, 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 and coming right up to modern day. And what he concludes is that the stories that last all tend to follow the same plot structure. Um, which broadly speaking is the hero's journey. You know, you, you have the call in the, in the beginning. You then have a sort of dream phase where things go well for a while. So you know, just you know, if if you think about like Lord of the Rings, like in the call phase, dark riders arrive in the Shire, and it's not it's not possible for the hobbits to to carry on living peacefully. Basically, so that that is the call. But we then have a dream phase where they make pretty good progress for a while. We then have the frustration phase where they get all sorts of holdups and they get split up and they have to go through a mine and all that kind of stuff. Um, there's then this sort of final climatic battle with the dark force in the story and then there's the resolution. And actually all of the stories that last tend to follow this plot structure, even, even in like a comedy plot where the dark force in the story is confusion. You, you have the same sort of thing where like the resolution is people finally seeing each each other for who they really are and then you get the happy ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or in a tragedy plot, it's the same structure. Um, only the dark force in the story is, is also the hero of the story. So, so in Macbeth, for example, we have in the final stage, the Kingdom of Scotland returns to its state of parity. So it's the same plot structure, just told in different ways from different perspectives. And I was like, well, perhaps we could apply that to our emails. Yeah. So the first version of the book, I wanted to know, could I apply the different, the different variations of that structure the book had identified to a single email? And the answer was that you could, but it felt a bit squished. Yes. It felt a bit squished. It felt like you were trying to condense you know, a five-phase, a quite nuanced five-phase story into... 800 words or 600 words or whatever it is. Yeah. So, so I, I, when I'm now constructing my core story series, I, I normally have that structure in, in the back of my mind where if I'm telling my story about how I got to my current line of work, I might structure it so that maybe the core phase is, so in, in my story, for example, I was, I was bored in a job. I, I felt like I needed a change. I thought I decided to you know, go self-employed. For a while, I had the dream phase where things went quite well. I managed to pick up a client. And then obviously the wheels fell off the bus. It all went horribly <laughs> wrong. Uh, I ended up walking around shops, trying to speak to business owners, doing all sorts of daft things. Um, and then I eventually, so you know, there's various sorts of, the fourth phase would be like the, the climatic points of resolution, which could have been, me going to Sean D'Souza's storytelling workshop, for example. Um, and then you have the resolution of how it currently is today. So if I was telling that story, I would try to fit it over, you know, if I'm writing 15 emails, I will try to tell over the 15 emails, I will try to build in that story. Yeah. And that that that, that gives it this sort of evergreen, evergreen quality. So anyway, I, that's, that's more advanced stuff. It's not stuff that has to be considered up front. Um, storytelling doesn't have to, I mean, we're all storytellers, basically. It's just that um, it gets, it gets 
there's this perception that it's more complicated than it necessarily needs to be. And yeah, I mean, like, like anything, it can be, it can be quite complicated. And if you want to discuss, you know, archetypal stories with me, and if you want to discuss character arcs with me, that we can go into all of that. I mean, I love talking about all of that stuff, but the most important thing is just to like, just to get going. And whatever story you can tell today is better than not telling a story at all. I mean, that's better than just giving people dry bread over and over. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so the book is called Simple Story Selling, so I would urge everyone to go and grab a copy. It's on Amazon on paperback and Kindle. Okay, cool. So here's one final question for you. Would you say that everybody has a core story? The they like, you know, well, there's no better way to say it than that, but their one core story and then any other additional bits of story should revolve around that. We all have some kind of emotional wound, whether we like it or not, or admit it or not. Um, so I believe that my emotional wound, so sometimes the emotional wound is an obvious thing, like the death of a parent or some kind of tragic event like that. Yeah. Um, I, I had a sort of fairly, not to say boring upbringing, but like nothing bad happened like that, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I've come to the assessment that my kind of emotional wound was when I was about 13, I, I, I stammered quite badly in a French class and it completely knocked the stuffing out of me. And for a while, I completely shut down at school. Like I, mm. I stopped participating. Um, about a year, about a year after that happened, like I managed to slip up because I, I, I can be quite eloquent when I want to be. Mm -hmm. Um, and about a year later, I was nominated for a school elocution competition. Mm. And I was like, if you excuse my language for a minute, I was like, shit, 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 shit. <laughs> that, that, was, that was what was going in my head. I was like, how do I get out of this? Yeah. And I, I probably wrongly decided to just hide out on the yard and not show up, basically. <laughs> Which was the immature way to go about it. I mean, what yeah. I should have done was I, I should have told someone that I was struggling and that I needed help, but I didn't have that level of maturity to deal with it in that way. Yeah. But it took me a long time and it, it, it played me for a long time. Um, and, you know, I mean, it still does occasionally, but I kind of learn how to deal with it and own it and whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, so, so that, that kind of emotional wounds. So I, I, I tell that story in, in my series and it's, it's, it's that sort of thing that like, if, if, if you can have the bravery to kind of address that, then that, it, that does create a powerful, compelling story. Um, so I'd ever think about, well, if you had to identify at least one emotional wound, because, you know, I mean, we're all messed up in some way. <laughs> um, and it's, 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 it's the ways that we're kind of, you know, quote unquote, messed up that that offer the greatest possible empathy connection with other people. If you're brave enough to tell people about it, yeah. when when they're when they're engaged and ready to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I, no, I, I just have to think about that. Makes good sense. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Maze Marketing Podcast. You can also sign up for a free set of maze building resources called Maze Mastery Essentials. 
In Maze Mastery Essentials, you get access to our Google Ads Audit Guide, our email and Facebook ad templates, and a video series walking you through remarketing setup on Google and Facebook. To get free access, just head to mazemastery.com.